Your eyes on the times, you walk ready to speak up. But with so many problems, you're exhausted trying to keep up. This is the Church Politics Podcast, where you can get political commentary from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be conservative or progressive. We're trying to be Christian in the public square. And I'm black as heaven. I'm made in God's image. Nobody can change my settings. Hey man, cut off my knees and put an end to my search. It's easy to sell your soul when you don't know what it's worth. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Church Politics Podcast. This is Pastor Chris Butler. And we are here with a very special episode. Justin is traveling. We wish him well with that. And we promise we are going to be back on here together real, real soon. I know Justin was here solo last week, but I'm not solo today. I am here with someone who is no stranger to the Church Politics Podcast. And if you have been with the podcast since the beginning, you actually know this man before you knew me. He's out with a new book that we're going to discuss today. And so I am just elated to welcome back to the Church Politics Podcast, my dear friend and yours, Michael Ware. How are you doing, sir? It is so good to be with you. I I do have to say there were two ways that this was going to happen. If the Buffalo Bills lost last week, I wasn't going to show up to this. But the Buffalo Bills won, and I had a feeling Justin wouldn't wanna wouldn't wanna you know marinate in a, in a pro Buffalo Bills conversation. There is definitely <laughs> I have heard of some sporting event that has been taking place in the United States with an oblong pig skin <laughs> of some sort. Uh, so I, I will do some research and try <laughs> to find out what that is. I, I heard all of the important teams and that league had already been eliminated. (laughs) It's so good to be with you. Good to be back on the Church Politics Podcast. I I listen whenever I can and so grateful for the work you and Justin are doing. So thanks for for having me on. No, I'm, I'm super excited. And I actually thought that a good entrance into the book. So the, the new book is called The Spirit of Our Politics. But I I thought that a good entrance to the book would actually be for you to share uh, just a little bit about the work that you've been doing over the last few years. Yeah, sure. So we launched an organization called the Center for Christianity and Public Life in 2022. The organization has the mission to contend for the credibility of Christian resources in public life for the public good. And so we do that work. We advance that mission through a number of programs and activities, both in the area of spiritual formation and what we call public imagination, which basically is sort of think tank work. This book kind of kind of is is the first major output of our public imagination work. So this book really is will will help folks understand the the why of what we do. And so it's it's been a blessing to be involved with this organization. We just hit a year of operation. We held our inaugural summit in November of, of last year, and we're off to 2024. But folks could go to ccpubliclife.org to learn learn more about the work we're doing. Yeah, and I, I, I think the, the work is really awesome. And, and there is a kind of a, a theme or a thought that I feel like sits behind a lot of what you discuss in the book. And there's actually a good section on it. It's this idea of the disappearance or 
relocation of moral knowledge. Yeah. That's a powerful thought that I think sits behind a lot of the discussion in the book. So I wanted to start there with maybe you just giving a little bit of what is moral knowledge and how do you see that disappearance? Yes. So the spirit of our politics is so much of the book is I'm seeking to apply Dallas Willard's ideas to public life and politics. Dallas Willard was a teacher. He taught philosophy at USC for decades, was chair of that department. He was also a Christian author. He wrote The Divine Conspiracy, Spirit of the Disciplines, Renovation of the Heart. He also has an academic book on the disappearance of moral knowledge. This was something he cared a great deal about. And the disappearance of knowledge basically refers to in the post-World War II period, what Willard calls gatekeepers of knowledge, principally academia, but, but also others, decided and acted as if religious and moral knowledge did not fall under what could be considered to be publicly available knowledge, knowledge that could be tested and could be taught from institutions of, of education. What this does is it it sort of removes any authority from making moral determinations. Of course, Chris, as, as you all discuss on this podcast all the time, that doesn't mean that the moral decisions don't happen. We live in a moral universe. Politics is all about decisions of, of value judgments and, and morality. And so instead, what we have is our society is, is forced just by the nature of reality to make moral decisions, but we can't have explicit conversations about, well, how do you make moral determinations? And so it, it results to me in a, in a crisis of confidence that is pervasive in our politics, but also in the church. One other thing I'd say about the disappearance of moral knowledge is it's not just a secular imposition on society. Christians have both contributed to and acquiesced to the disappearance of moral knowledge. And I get into this and, and unpack the, the concept in the, in the book, but, but I, I agree. I think it's an absolutely vital one to the work we're doing, but also just like the world. We're yeah. Living. And you, you mentioned Dallas Willard. I was saying before we started recording, I didn't know that you had this affection for Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is one of the the writers that I engaged with when I was a younger Christian. I don't want to say a young Christian. I feel like I'm still a young Christian. But when I was a younger Christian, maybe 18, 19 years old, you know, Dallas Willard's material, I don't know if they called it a podcast back then, but he recorded videos. And it was it was it was very helpful for learning about spiritual disciplines and spiritual you know, sort of cultivation and formation, I guess is the word I'm looking for in, in, in my younger years. And so when I read the book, Michael, I am just, it's almost like you wrote it with Willard. I mean, we know that he's gone, but if, if, if you're familiar with Dallas Willard's work, this book is, it is contemplative. It moves like I can't, I, you know, I go between reading good political writing to good theology to practical application. And one of the sort of themes that I feel like is very Willard-esque is this idea of looking at ourselves, thinking about not just how our politics are, but the kind of people we are and how that impacts our politics. One of the statements in the book, and you should you should get the book, if nothing else, you're going to have, you're going to come away with this book with like, you know, two dozen really, really quotable quotes that you won't forget. 
But one of them, Mikey, you say we should not be so quick, I believe. I'm paraphrasing, but the, the phrase I remember is to distance ourselves from what's wrong in our politics. So talk about this idea of us really looking at the kind of people we are and how that's impacting our politics. Yeah. So so this book is based in the idea, the conviction that the kind of people we are has much to do with the kind of politics and public life that we have. And T.S. Eliot has this quote that, that is uh, some, something like, the, the human endeavor has been to try to create a system so perfect that people no longer have to be good. And I feel like that just captures so much of our politics. And so often when we're talking about politics, we're talking about and critiquing things out there which are removed from us. And that's part of the reason why we love talking about it because we're actually, we, we at least we don't think we're on the hook. What I try to do in the book is empower people to understand that our politics feeds off of, is informed by, is influenced by the kind of people we are, the kind of incentives that we provide to it, the kind of disincentives we provide to it. We have to take responsibility for what we're responsible for. And so, you know, if you want a, a healthier politics that is focused on policy that, that helps people, but uh, the, the articles you're clicking on, the ads that get your reaction, the candidates that actually get your attention, as opposed to the kinds of things that you, in an ideal world, you sort of suggest, yeah, this would get my attention. Yeah, I'd really love to hear more about housing policy. But actually, in your real life, <laughs> in the life that you're living, the only life you have, that's not the kind of person you are, then we need to, we need to attend to that. Now, I think there's a lot of focus, in, and Chris, you and I, Justin, we all care about public policy deeply. We think it, it has tremendous consequences. But in my time working in, in politics, good policy comes from a certain kind of people. And this idea that we're just going to like campaign finance our way out of political dysfunction, like where, where is campaign finance reform going to come from? It has to come from the kind of people who would desire reform that would be equitable, that would actually not have loopholes that would just not 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 get rid of the problem, but actually just shift the problem. And so, so th this idea that spiritual formation is is central to civic renewal is is something something I focus on quite a bit in the book. Man, I'm I'm always a little bit like embarrassed to say this on the podcast because dealing in these spaces, I'm a pastor. I was just talking about reading Dallas Wheeler at 19, and yet this kind of like really thoughtful focus on how spiritual formation impacts our, uh, as, as you just said, civic renewal. It, it really was refreshing to me, and I feel like brought me to places of self-examination, as any true disciple of, of Willard was. Yes, it's a, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it brings me to that place, and it, I guess it, it, it brings the question, like, is there the seed of a movement in that thought, right? Like, like that we can, in the church, focus on Christian formation and in so doing, experience civic renewal? I think so. I hope so. A part of what the book tr tries to do, 
so often, even when we talk about politics as Christians, it's as if we're looking out and looking at some like specimen and trying to like see how Christianity might relate to this other thing. What I try and do in the book is place politics within the life we're already living with Jesus. Willard has this idea, you, you know, when he talks about God's kingdom is the range of his effective will, where what God says should be done is done. Willard says we each have our own sort of little kingdoms where what we want to be done and what we say should be done is done, the range of our effective will. And I place politics within the range of our effective will, which I think rightly sizes the moral burden of politics. It doesn't say, well, politics is is unimportant, be aloof from it, it doesn't matter. It also doesn't say politics is 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 this ultimate thing. No, we we try as Christians to steward our political influence and responsibility the same way we do any kind of influence or responsibility we have, which is to, as I as I say in the book, to place it under the jurisdiction of love. And that to me, and I don't know if you if you sense this as a pastor, Chris, or just with with folks in your church or just folks you know, but I feel like Christians have been in this period now where for years they feel as if our politics is constantly acting on them and they're reacting, particularly culturally. I'm I'm hoping this book, to your point, will like empower people to actually say, no, no, actually there are resources inherent to the Christian faith that even aren't directly explicitly like political theology. Like we don't even need to go there. There's not like a whole, yes, read the extra books and whatever, like do the extra study if that's what you feel called to. But there are resources you have just as a Christian, just in the New Testament, you know, just the Sermon on the Mount, which would be a tremendous gift to our politics if we take those resources seriously in our own lives. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the And Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the And Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. The And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement that we publish with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Yeah, and I, I love that thought. It's through the book. It's in the work that, that you're doing at the center that we have resources, right, that we can bring to our politics. Because then it's not like it's not overly arrogant, right, 
like that we've got all the answers for everybody and everybody should just do it the way that we say. But it, it also doesn't sit us back into a place of impotence, right? Like we do have thought and resources and things that we can contribute. And I, I just think that's a powerful idea. One of the, the words I wrote here on my notes as I was going through is resistance, because I, I feel like that in one way I'm reading your words and, and they're challenging me to sort of look at myself. But in another way, they are empowering me that I can resist in what I click and don't click, what I watch and don't watch, who I listen to and how I inform myself, all those things, not only do they contribute to my own like Christian formation, but it is a form of always like political resistance. Yes. Yeah. Willard has this great phrase about like the Christian vocation. So he's not talking about politics explicitly or solely when he's talking about this. He says the Christian is called to gentle non-compliance with evil. And I, I just feel like just those like four words that could take up years of of living. Like if the only thing you were going to focus on was gentle non-compliance with evil, like you'd have like a full life, like you'd have your hands full. So yeah, that idea of resistance or without taking up the same logic of our politics, because I think that's what we get so stuck on, which is there, there's so much happening in our politics we want to oppose, but in order to oppose it, we end up taking and using the same logic, which leaves us in much the same place as that which we're opposing. It's really helpful. So one thing that you talk about in the book that I wanted to talk about on the podcast, uh, and I'll I'll say up front that the reason I want to talk about it on the podcast is because I think that there may be those among us in the listenership, and and not just in the listenership, because I I took a moment of self-examination for my own self. I think all of us, really, who find ourselves being, it used to be called, when I was growing up, political junkies. I don't know if people say that anymore. I don't feel like that's politically correct to say. But anyway, but I think all of us who are political nerds, let's say it that way, are at great risk of becoming political hobbyists. And when I was reading that part, I was like, man, we need to talk about this on the podcast because even like creating the Church Politics podcast and putting the content out is like, we don't want to be creating political hobbyists and doing it. So unpack this idea a little bit. What is a political hobbyist? I spent a lot of time thinking about it too. And part of it is for those of us who have jobs in politics, it can be really easy to sort of rationalize it through that lens. But so this is a term that comes from a political scientist at Tufts, Aton Hirsch. And a political hobbyist, it's a, it's a catch-all term for the person who spends a lot of time consuming news or signing online petitions or engaging online with people about this or that issue, and they mistake this for actual politics, but it's not because it doesn't contribute to power building. That That's Hirsch. And this idea of politics as entertainment, as something that you consume but actually don't participate in, I think is rampant. And so you talk to people who say, oh man, I'm burnt out from politics. Politics is just consuming my life. You know, you, you could ask, oh, have you been working on getting a bill passed? Are the school board meetings getting to be too too numerous? Are they taking up too much time? And oh no, nothing like that. It's just 
uh, I'm worn down by the saturation of content, you know, that I'm that I'm not just receiving, but that but that I'm I'm seeking out, and I don't know how to not seek it out. And so there is this sort of consumption with politics without ever actually doing it. And I think it's a very helpful term. I see a lot of overlap, and I know you all have discussed this on the podcast, the hidden tribes, the more in common research about this idea that our the vitriol in our politics is actually b- being driven by a pretty small percentage of folks on the margins who are just hyper-invested in our politics. These are our political hobbyists <laughs> to, a, to a large degree. And so, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a vital, vital concept. And it's, it's good for folks to ask, if you're feeling burdened by our politics, what is the source of that? I do think our politics is laying burdens on people that, that can't be avoided and, and, and those need to be addressed. But how much of the burden that we feel from politics is because we're engaging politics as a form of entertainment, as opposed to, you know, self-governance and and about self-governance. As I read and, and thought about the work, I feel like one of the dangers is, is that political hobbyists, in, in, in my view, kind of proselytize a little bit and market. There are certain media, you know, especially, you know, sort of legacy media and, and, and large outlets and social media, all of these things, like they they benefit from creating more political hobbyists. It's not just that you like you enter as one, but you also have to constantly be vigilant that you're not getting sucked in. I feel like it's that way. Like there's a there's a drawing component to the political hobbyist movement that you always have to be vigilant not to get sucked into it. And because it's about issues that are important the entertainment is actually given this veneer of being important itself. <laughs> That's what will get you. <laughs> you know, you'll think, oh, I'm a participant in these really important, you know, this really important work, these really important conversations, but no work is, is happening. <laughs> so this comes from Eitan Hirsch's book, Politics is for Power. If you can't pick up the book itself, he's given some really helpful interviews, including one on Vox with Sean Illing. And I, I recommend that interview for folks who want to learn more. Or of course, I, I, I break down the concept in, in the book too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I think folks really need to engage this book. Another piece that I wanted to talk about from your work, there's a chapter in the book that I think, and I'm sure by the time the book is finished making its rounds, I won't be the only person to have said this. But I think it's a really important piece of theology. You do a chapter that really takes a look at the gospel itself and how we are misreading, maybe, the gospel. And that's impacting the way that we do our politics. Again, I think it's a powerful piece of theological work. Like a, You do good theological work here. It is straightforward and I don't want to give it away because people have to read the book, but I think it it took great courage to write this chapter. I, I guess my question is one, how did you decide to write it? You you can give a little bit of it, but give a little bit of, of what it is, but talk more about how you decided to write it. And maybe are you concerned about it being out in the world? So part of it was, it was very helpful to feel like I was following Dallas's lead, you know, mm-hmm. Willard's lead on this. And so I felt like 
there were some footholds there in terms of even just broaching the conversation. But the reason why Dallas broached it and the reason why, why I felt like it had to be included is I feel like so much of our conversation about Christianity politics is just dealing with the outer core. And at some point we need to get to the inner core. We need to get to the heart of the matter. I remember I was doing a panel at Brookings, the Brookings Institution on on economics. Well, it was on economics and faith. It was what sort of religious contributions to economic thought. Yeah, I was on a panel of four or five people. I finished my remarks and the moderator said after my remarks, what an interesting thing. You know, we've we've all been talking about, you know, faith, Christianity, these concepts, but Jesus hadn't come up much. And so like there, I don't say that as like a, I, I, when we're talking about politics, we talk about all these theories and principles of subsidiarity and like all these, which are all vital and important. But if we don't have a vision of God's kingdom that goes over and above all of our theories and ideas and prudential judgments, then like, what are we even doing here? And it took me a long time to realize if your view of the gospel this could be consciously held for a lot of people as just sort of what's transmitted. If your view of the gospel is what, what John Ortberg calls the, the gospel of the minimal entrance requirements to heaven, if your view is that the gospel Jesus brought was that if you provide mental assent to a few key lines of doctrine, then you'll go to heaven when you die. We need to address that, that gospel issue there. I don't think that's the gospel that Jesus brought. But then it's no surprise when folks get into politics and what it means to have a Christian politics is to have the right position on a few issues. And it doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter how you advance those positions. You have a Christian politics. And anyone who doesn't hold your position on those two or three issues that's not a Christian politics. It took me so long to see how this all sort of fits together. But if we don't address the gospel issue, then A, we're not dealing with the most important thing. But secondly, that has all kinds of fallout consequences that are that are really destructive to the life of the church and, and to, to our public life. I'm almost saddened by the, the fact that that even like you and I, like this is this is like the first time discussing Dallas Willard, right? But when I think about Dallas Willard and like Richard Foster is another one that I read and 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 like these guys, like this is pretty much like the passion of their ministry, right? Is that the church has to just get back to the idea, like an accurate view of the gospel and a real focus on solid Christian formation. Right. So not negating the kind of place your faith in Jesus, like you absolutely have to do that. But then you want to be like Jesus. Right. And I feel like much of what what we get in this book is just a really thoughtful, careful and very helpful conversation about what it looks like to try to be good Christians, well-formed Christians moving in in politics, which in, in American democracy, all of us move in uh, to some extent or another. We're getting close to the end of time. I want to ask a question just, it's not in the book, but I think it's helpful for people who are listening and who are just trying to grow and develop, right? So I've read 
a lot of Willard. And, and as I said, it wasn't like I had the question by the end, by the time I got to the end of the book, you answered a question that was in my mind because you say, I never knew Dallas Willard. By the end of the book, I was convinced that you had sat at his feet and like received all of this content. So as somebody who, I mean, you worked actual with Barack Obama and were in the White House, been with the president. But then in, in this book, is so much Willard coming through. Just talk just for a second about what that is like, like developing this relationship with Dallas Willard just through his writings and, yeah. and recordings. My first meeting when I started at the White House was with Gary Haugen at International Justice Mission. And following that meeting, Gary sent me The Divine Conspiracy. And I'd never heard of Dallas Willard before. I thought, why is someone sending me a dense book like this when I'm working, whatever, 16 hours a day, whatever. But I, I eventually picked it up and it was like a second spiritual awakening in my life. I have read everything of Willard's I could get my hands on. I placed my finger exactly on it, though I offer a few sort of reflections in the book. But for some reason, the way Dallas writes about Jesus and the way Dallas unpacks scripture helps me to see God more clearly and speaks to 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 something in me that's really, really powerful. I mean, Chris, I've made all kinds of personal decisions in response to reading something of, of Dallas's. I've made professional decisions. It's meant a great deal. My my board chair, James Catford, was close friends with Dallas, and I've been blessed to get to know the Willard family and, and folks who were Dallas's PhD students and, and that so so I've been really blessed by having folks who knew Dallas personally and, and studied under him and with him sort of inform this work. This book is such a passion project for me. Dallas has just blessed me so profoundly as a as a human being, as someone who's trying to follow Jesus. And and it's really out of that overflow that this book sort of came out. And so, so yeah, it's been a deeply meaningful relationship, even though I never knew him personally yeah. for, for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's just an encouragement to folks to engage with books. Yes. You know, I feel like that's something that is sort of going out of vogue. It was encouraging to me to know that you can really draw from great men and women without having to like work in the office with them if God has given them the ability to and the opportunity to to write and to leave that and just make it available. So thank you for sharing that because I, I encourage the reading of books and I encourage the reading of this book, The Spirit of Our Politics. It's with Zondervan and when and how can people get a hold of this book? Yeah, so it releases January 23rd. So in less than a week from when we're recording this, folks can get it wherever they get their books from their local bookstore, from you know one of the big sites. But it comes out January twenty third. It's also an audio book. I was really glad to be able to to do the audio book for this one. And yeah, I would love to hear from folks what you think. If you've been listening to the Church Politics podcast for a while, I'm hoping that the book will be a, a resource to you as you continue in this path of trying to place your life in Jesus or trying to place your politics 
in and in the stream of your life with Jesus. And and, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get this book out there. Thank you for joining the podcast, coming back. Great to be back. Great to be back. And I'm happy to come back any other week after the Buffalo Bills win. <laughs> If they lose, I, I'm going. I'm going dark. I'm. I'm, I'm I, you, can, you won't be able to find me. <laughs> well, I, there are no bears to cheer for, so I don't know if I'll cheer for the Buffalo Bills, but I'll, I'll pray for the Buffalo Bills. Thank you so much, Chris. So good to have a conversation with you. So good to have you, and thank you for this work. It's really important. Again, if you see yourself as just involved in this broader project of Christians trying to chart a new course in our politics, I strongly encourage you to grab this book. As Justin would say, there is a cross that neither political progressivism nor conservatism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, and Kent, we'll holler. Dear Lord.